ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Walk Show podcast, where we explore the walk of life. This is your host, Walker Near. As always, the music for today's show is provided by Misha Zarin, so thank you very much for that, Misha. I'm very excited about this week's episode, although in fairness, I think that's how I feel about most of them. Uh, this week, we are joined by author, relationship coach, podcaster, and intimacy expert, Alana Pratt. Alana has spent over 20 years helping people develop deeper and more meaningful relationships. Alana is an energetic and warm soul who completely blew me away with her thoughts and insights. While Alana works with people on relationships and intimacy, I was surprised at how much her work still related to personal development. Alana leverages her life experience, education, training, and natural warmth and talent to help people discover who they really are and what an ideal mate would look like. Alana has a variety of avenues in which she helps people, including in-person sessions, a podcast, a YouTube channel, and a soon-to-be-launched dating app called Heartmates. Our conversation really does just kind of go all over the place, and I'm very excited to share it with you. So without further ado, let's get on to the conversation with Alana. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Walk Show Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, Atlanta Pratt. How are you doing today? Great. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. And thank you also to Carolyn as well that introduced us. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly what I wanted to, to, to say first is Carolyn Owens, a mutual friend of ours with Infinity Coaching, uh, introduced us. And uh, I've been on Carolyn's show. Have you been on Carolyn's show? No, not yet. It's coming up. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, she's a real treat. Uh, I had the pleasure of meeting her back in March in Orlando at a, a podcast conference called PodFest. Nice. Um, and and we hit it off pretty quickly, and, and she's been a, a, a great person to know since then. So, <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Elena, you um, you have a, a variety of, of platforms that, that you reach out to people or, or connect with people through. Um, you've got a, a YouTube channel. You've got a podcast. Yeah. You've got a website. And then I was doing some a little bit of homework on my own. Uh, and I, is it correct that you also have a dating app that's just recently launched? Launching in the next couple of weeks. Yes. Okay. It's a bigger, you know, elephant, you know, to, to chew on <laughs> than I thought sure. when I first started it. It's taking a little longer than we thought, but it's exciting. It's called Heartmates and uh, it should be out the uh, July 4th weekend. Okay, cool, cool. Um, well, yeah, so you and I'll, I'll ask you to define kind of yourself because I certainly don't mean to, to, to put a label or anything on you, but um, would you call yourself kind of a relationship coach, a, an intimacy expert, all of the above, another title? Uh, how would you how would you define it? Yeah, I love it. I definitely both. I would say intimacy expert, relationship coach. And when I first started out, uh, I called myself just a relationship coach. But more and more over time, whether it was working with a woman, a man, a couple, across the board, what I noticed was they were seeking their worth, their safety on the outside in. And they didn't have this, what I call an intimate relationship with themselves. So intimacy defined not as bound chicka bound bow, although it includes sex. Um, sure. Intimacy really being this vulnerable, authentic, transparent, honest, raw, heart wide open, no walls up. This like this real relationship with yourself. Normally people were like, once I find the one, then I'm finally good enough. When I lose the 10 pounds, when I make the first million, though, it's all this, you know, waiting to finally be good enough. And same with intimacy. Like when I find the person on the outside to make me feel safe and worthy, then I'll be enough. But I found something within myself personally 
and within my clients that when we came home to ourselves, had this intimate relationship with ourselves, listened to ourselves, stopped rejecting and avoiding ourselves, you know, really leaned in and felt our feelings without saying, okay, be in a better mood and everything's fine now, let's spiritually bypass. You know, none of that really went, hey, sweet little walker inside my heart, <laughs> sweet little Alana inside my heart. Hey, you have every right to be scared and I'm not going to go anywhere and I'm not going to change you and fix you and tell you you shouldn't be the way you are. I'm just going to love you. I'm actually going to learn to unconditionally love you the way you are, not conditionally ask you to change. Mm-hmm. And then this thing called confidence arose within me for the first time in my life. Not confidence based on an accomplishment and look how good I look, but just because I exist. And it felt like safety on the inside. And it felt home for the first time. And while I still would prefer you like me, Walker, (laughs) um, I'll survive if you throw tomatoes at me. I'm not looking to you to prove my worth anymore. And that used to be at least the first 30 years of my life. Yeah. So that was, that's something that's really interesting. So I, you know, the, the world of, um, of coaching and, and frankly, even, and I, I think maybe some coaches are a little hesitant to, to draw this connection, but, but to me, counseling or therapy, um, I think are, I think coaching and counseling are more closely related than people, um, maybe on the surface would think they are. Now I understand that maybe, someone who's a psychologist is, you know, got a medical degree and that maybe is different than the the training and the, the certifications and the specializations that someone who's a coach would learn. Mm-hmm. But I think that there's a lot of similarity in that um, you're really just kind of trying to explore yourself in both ac- activities. Right. Yeah. Um, and in, in, in listening to some of your YouTube or watching, I guess some of your YouTube videos, um, that was something I noticed that I, that I really appreciated, um, was that while you are a relationship coach and an intimacy expert, which when at least a, the layman like myself would hear, I imagine that takes two people, right? Like a relationship is two people, but a lot of the, the things that you, you talk about are actually about bringing people back to, to working on themselves, which is kind of what you were just speaking to, right? Like, yeah. um, it, it's a, it, it's probably the biggest lesson that I, so I have a, a coach myself now, not a, she's not a relationship coach, I guess, but a life uh-huh. coach. Uh-huh. Um, and a lesson that I have to keep learning over and over and over again, or that, that at least keeps coming up. Maybe I haven't ever learned it, which is why it keeps propping up. Right. But uh-huh. is the, this idea, the, the simplest way I always put it is like, when you point one finger out, there's three pointing back. Yeah. Right. Um, and that's kind of what you were just speaking to. It's like you, 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 not you, but people, the general, you want to look to all of these external things that these external criteria that need to be met in order for them to feel happy. And it's like, eh, no, like no, it, it, it's you, it's the individual that must find that piece first. And then <laughs> the rest comes. Totally. I used to be wired because I'm a smart girl. Like I went to Columbia University and I graduated cum laude and I have six books and I've interviewed celebrities and oh I have all this stuff on the outside that one would think would make one confident, <laughs> but, yeah. but it didn't. It just made me seek it. And now that I got it, I've got mm-hmm. to keep it and not lose it and get more of it. And then it's got to get better and bigger. And that's not enough Facebook likes. I need more. It was just like exhausting, this scrambling and grasping for worth. And I noticed that when I was doing that, like right now, I'm totally present to you. 
I'm listening. I'm not off three steps ahead wondering what you're going to ask me next. What do I need to say to impress you? I'm just like right here. Like, hi, Walker. Hi. Right. But in the past, that wasn't me. In the past, I wasn't really present. I wasn't really listening. I was thinking, oh my God, how's my hair? How am I sounding? Oh my God, what if people don't hear this? Or what if they do? And what do I need to say? And all this kind of stuff was going on, spinning in my head, contracted in my heart, even down to like the permakegel, like just like the whole body tense, mm-hmm. all seeking safety from someone and something I couldn't control, which is insane. <laughs> but yeah. that's how I was wired. And I think that's how a lot of us are wired until we realize, wait a minute, I didn't even know I had an inside. I didn't even know I had a relationship with a, a, a self on the inside. I didn't understand this concept of like a soul or a heart or a little me or any of this. I never knew how to soothe myself and have my, my higher self take over and my ego be in the passenger seat. Mm-hmm. My ego was in the driver's seat, motivated by fear all the time. And now, because we can't get rid of our ego, I'd like to think that my ego's in the passenger seat and my soul is driving, my heart is driving, my truth is driving, where I don't need anything on the outside in order to be enough. Mm -hmm. Plus, when I'm in a conversation with another, and we can take that intimacy conversation with your your friend, with your beloved, uh, with your child, with a new client, with a prospect, with somebody at the grocery store, like it doesn't matter. It's like all of these conversations, if you don't need the other to be a certain way and you don't need anything from them to be enough and you're not attached to the result having to go a certain way in order to be okay, you can just be. Mm -hmm. And I find it's quite delicious. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so to to kind of you know go back to the the beginning a bit just to to give my audience an idea of, of of who you are. How did you get started in this? I mean, you mentioned that you you know had some pretty sounds like rigorous university time and, and mm. some accomplishments with books. But how did you how did you kind of come to this uh, line of of work or I don't know, line of work? Maybe is too <laughs> I don't know. Maybe not the appropriate way to position it, but. How did you start a YouTube channel and the podcasting and decide that you wanted to help people with this? You know, Yeah, it wasn't the plan at all. I left home. I'm from Canada. I left on Uncle Phil's 18-wheeler semi when I was 19. I quit college after two years. I wasn't feeling it. And I got to LA to be a dancer or a model or something like that. And I failed. And uh, I've, not because I wasn't talented enough, but I didn't have the visa. So I moved, mm. over, moved over to Japan. And I was able to be a model and a dancer there. And that turned into an English teacher and a spokesperson and all this other type of work and a backpacker all around, you know, Southeast Asia for about four years. And I chucked up more money than, you know, my parents made in a year and was able to put myself through the last two years of Columbia University in New York. And I had met my first husband at that point, which kind of alludes that there's more than more than one down the track. So this is <laughs> right. all part of the growth opportunity. Um, and back in the beginning, I hadn't done any, we'll call it personal growth work. I, I was still a damsel in distress, you know, a man, it's a man, a man is my plan. You know, he's going to save me. And I met a tall, dark and handsome, you know, multimillionaire. And I thought, okay, well, I've made it. This is it. I never even asked if I loved him. Um, he was lovely and all, but I, it was not about me. It was about, am I good enough? And will you save me? But of course, at the time, I wasn't conscious of this because I was spinning so fast, just trying to be safe and good enough, right? Mom and dad did their best, but dad was, you know, dr- drunk and, and abuser of drugs. And mom was just codependent, trying to keep it together. And so I, I didn't know any better. 
And that six-year relationship ended after counseling and therapy. And I wanted to become more spiritual. No, get back in the box. I wanted to do this. No, that's not what we agreed to. So in all fairness, I changed and he didn't. Mm. And so we completed that relationship. No kids. Moving on to the second relationship, the second husband, that's when my mom was dying of cancer. And while I wasn't the damsel in distress, I guess we could say I grew a little bit, but really it was just the opposite side of the same coin. Mm. I thought, okay, well now I'm going to be masculine. I'm going to take charge. I'm going to make this happen. You know, Disneyland fairy tale love is stupid and I just need a guy and a baby and I'm going to be fine. I'm going to get over my mom's death and, you know, I'm not going to feel right. So my heart was so shut down and I was just trying to control the uncontrollable. And so, of course, who would I attract? Somebody with their heart closed as well. Mm. And within a year, we we had a baby and we were married and my mom was dead. And I had made another mistake. I had attracted another relationship that wasn't a fit. And the only one in common was me. So when that relationship ended, that's when I started like official personal growth work, workshops, you know, relationship coaching. I, uh, I started with Landmark Education where you volunteer your time. And I became like an SELP coach and then a head coach. And I'm like, okay, I got a skill here. Nobody's paying me yet. And uh, the divorce had happened. So I'm like, okay, I got to figure this out. So I put up a shingle. I'm a coach. And I just kept taking classes and workshops and certifications and getting better and better. And it's been 20 years now. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's, it's official. I've still nothing against Starbucks, but I haven't had to go work at Starbucks and I've kept a roof over my head because it's my, it's my Dharma. It's my path. I'm very, I'm very good, I guess, at loving people where they're at and not judging them and making them feel safe and seen and understood because it's exactly what I needed to learn is exactly what I teach. I had to make it safe for Alana to be Alana and stop judging myself and get curious and kind and compassionate with myself. And then I can pass that on now to others to be with themselves. And then, oh, when you're in a relationship and you don't need to fix the other person, you don't need to change them. You don't shut down or run away or hit below the belt or do any of the behaviors that don't work. If you can just be with your partner in the fire of discomfort, intimacy Mm. will grow. Connection will grow. Yeah. 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 No, that makes it, that makes a lot of sense. Um, well, that's a, that's a pretty awesome journey. Um, so, you know, to, to move to, to the things that you do now, so how long have you been doing the YouTube channel and the podcast and those sorts of things that, that I've, you know, been, that you've been stalking me on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I started my radio. It was a radio show in the beginning, maybe about 12 years ago, like blog talk radio. And then it went to like a uh, webcast for a while. Um, and then it went to just, um, people would opt in and that's how I learned how to get an email list. They would, you know, I would interview somebody. We both mail, we both mail for each other. There'd be an opt-in. So I started to grow my list that way. And then when this whole podcast phase came on, my podcast has actually only been around for maybe two years and I transferred, I have over 800 interviews I've done in that oh, period wow. of time. Yeah. But I just took the top like 250 or so and put it on iTunes and everything else. So that's the podcast. I love interviewing. Mm-hmm. The very, very first was when I first moved to uh, Los Angeles. Actually, that's not even probably true. The first was in New York when I was still there. I got to work at CNN. Oh, wow. Every As an intern, because I was still Canadian. Not a, I didn't have a visa yet. I am still mm. Canadian, but at least I, I'm an alien now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I worked at CNN and I got to sometimes sit in and interview people. 
But once I got out to, to LA, I started interviewing for AWRT, American Women in Radio and Television. And that's when I started to interview Delta Burke and Whoopi Goldberg and uh, Cameron Mannheim, some really cool names. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I like this. People tell me stuff. Yeah. They tell me stuff they haven't told themselves sometimes. Ooh, this is good stuff. So that was the interviewing. And then the YouTube, I also have this thing where I'll turn on the camera and I really don't think it's a camera. I really don't think it's my phone. Like I really feel like I'm looking into the eyes of the human that sent the little question that my staff has gathered from my newsletter or from one of my social media platforms. Every single Friday, I get the list of people around this world that are asking me for some reason, a very specific question. And when I turn it on, I don't go into, so welcome everybody and all this kind of, I'm just like, zoom, like right there. Right. And I care and I love them and I feel them. And I answer their unique question. And then I might give a more broad call to action at the end, check out this book or, you know, visit me here, etc. But the feedback walker is like, you were talking right to me. I watched your video and I, and I cried. And of course it wasn't actually the person whose question I was answering that said that. So there's mm -hmm. this element of, I guess we'll call it contact, contact that I be through the camera on YouTube. One, cause I love them and I care. But two, I'm willing to connect. I'm willing to make it land. I'm willing to be that vulnerable, transparent, honest, raw, real, intimate chick, intimacy chick. I'm willing to be that with them and they feel it. And so for some reason that really lands on YouTube. So yeah, I've been doing YouTube for maybe about a decade or so, 12 years or so. Started off when my son, actually a little longer, probably 15 years, because my son is now 17. So yeah, we started when he was really little. <laughs> mm -hmm. And now he's 6'4 and huge. So yeah. um, again, I love being vulnerable with my audience, showing them that I'm not going to judge you. I just want to be real with you. And it's my way of walking my talk, being vulnerable with my audience. So I don't have to remember, who did I lie to? What story did I tell? It's like, I don't need to do that because I'm just going to tell the truth the whole time. Well, so that's, you know, it's a question that I had thought of before we started interviewing that I feel like it's a weird question because it could it can take a very strange angle quickly. And I don't mean for it to take that angle. But, you know, a, a lot of coaches that I've talked to, you know, a thing that people want coaching on a lot is, you know, career and money and, and those sorts of things. Right. And when it comes to, to the topic of finance or, or money or wealth or whatever you want to call it, it's interesting how much people learn about how they're going to look at that subject from their family in almost a subconscious way mm. or an unconscious way, right? Like um, maybe they learn spending or saving, you know, it could be good or bad, but habits that maybe aren't really openly discussed with their family when they're growing up, but they witness and then internalize and now act on. And if, you know, and again, maybe don't even really fully understand why that's what it is without analyzing it further. Yeah. Uh, 
but so when it comes to, you know, relationships or intimacy, how much of that is also learned from the family? And I, again, I don't mean like, the reason I say you take a weird angle. I don't mean like abusive stuff or, or you know, <laughs> unseemly creepy things, but just normal <laughs> relationships. Oh, how much yeah. of that is learned from the family? You know? Oh, a ton. And yeah. before you're five or seven, depending on what scientific evidence you follow. So mm. we're imprinted at a very, very young age of whether you felt seen or not, whether you felt approved of or not, whether you felt like you mattered or not. You learned whether you only got attention if you made a ruckus mm. or whether some, you felt someone's presence there always having your back or not. You learned whether people spoke truth or we don't talk about that kind of thing in this family. Mm. You learned very quickly if you spoke about a certain subject or expressed yourself in a certain way, whether you got love and attention or abuse and rejection. So you right. learn an awful lot and picking up signals. Like I still remember as a little girl, the day that my mom was chopping potatoes or like peeling them at the sink and dad came in and he gave her a kiss on the back of the neck and she just kept peeling. I just remember like this chill going through my body, like something's off and it did mm. not feel good. And that was, I was very young, but you pick up on these things when you're, when you're little, like, wow, ignore people, pretend you're fine when you're not. Like, of course I didn't make those words up in my head, but it imprinted because when an, uh, we'll call it a trauma or a trigger or an emotional a moment happens, there's an image, a thought, an emotion, and a body sensation. There's four elements that get imprinted into the being. Mm. And so you might not be told with words how to have a relationship, but you should right. have felt it in your body. You should mm. have felt those you know, chills up your spine. You have the image of what that looks like. And it could mm. be positive or it could be negative. And, you know, we as parents do our best job to, you know, do as I say, not as I do, right? But the kids will pick up on all these other subtle levels and they'll make distinctions, beliefs. Now, the good news is now that it's, you know, all these years later and I'm 50 and I'm trained in all these quantum psychology processes and I understand brain science and all the rest of it, that we, those unprocessed moments where as a little kid, you don't know what to do when you just felt something. Or you maybe saw them, you know, check their phone and react, but then stuff it down. And you're like, oh, don't, don't express feelings, stuff them down. Like you learned all of that. Those are imprinted and those can be integrated into the lesson you were meant to learn. We can't get rid of energy. We can't create energy, but we can transform it. So I can take these moments of negative beliefs that have turned into sabotaging patterns that are lodged, creating a reality because mm -hmm. your point of view creates your reality. I can take these, integrate them, fully process them, heal them so that you get choice back again. You get discernment and awareness back again. You get the capacity to go, okay, thank you that I learned this. And now I choose such and such. And my new belief is such and such. And thus my actions will be different. And thus my reality will be different. You can literally like change tracks of your life, but you need to do the inner work. Yeah. No, that's a, you know, that's a lesson that I learned. Um, and, and to be clear, I'm not the guru. So <laughs> a lesson I continue to, to learn to apply to different circumstances in life. But, yeah. um, you know, I, I've talked about it on the show plenty of times that my dad passed away when I was 20 mm -hmm. and, uh, it was pretty traumatic and, and devastating for me when it happened. I'm sorry, but well, thank you. But, but what I had to learn was that it, 
perception dictates reality. Yeah. And I think that phrase is thrown a lot around a lot and people interpret it as like what others think of you is the reality. And and that's not what I mean at all. No. (laughs) (laughs) But I think there's a, a hard distinction between truth and reality. Right, like something can be true, and and that maybe is un is not changeable. I mean, unchangeable maybe isn't a fair. That's too broad. But, but the point being that something can be true, but the way that you interpret it, the yes. way that you understand it, yes, changes the reality of. Well it. said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally agree with you. What did um, you make it mean back when you were twenty? That dad's dead. Um, I had to learn, uh, you know, I, I carried around with me a lot of devastation to the point where I was, I could just be in any circumstance. I could be at work. I could be hanging out with friends. I could be by myself. It could be anything. And out of nowhere, I could just be hit by that devastation. And now I'm crying yeah. and I'm not, and, and it, it, it's not that I was, that I resented that I was sad or that I grieved, you know, his death or something. Cause that was all normal. And I understood that, Yeah. but it was more just like, I, I just was like, I can't live the rest of my life on the precipice of devastation constantly. Yeah. You know what yes. I mean? Like that's just yes. not, it doesn't make sense. And I realized that it was because I was, I was only focusing on his death, mm. which is sad. Mm. But then I realized that the reason that I was so devastated was because he had this entire life before that, that was meaningful. And so then I came to realize that I was actually almost, and not intentionally, of course, so it's not like I'm shaming myself for it, but I was actually being somewhat disingenuous to my relationship with him because to only focus on the one day when it was really bad, which is the day that he dies, is not representative of my relationship with him. I should focus on the entirety of his life. The life was the part that meant so much. You know what I mean? Yeah. And understood that death is something that is, uh, you know, unfortunately, I guess we can say a, a part of life. It's, it is the inevitable. Yes. I mean, people say death and taxes, but there are ways you can get out of taxes, but I have not <laughs> seen a way where you can get out of death, you know? <laughs> True. Um, and so I just kind of un- came to understand that it didn't make sense to insist on only looking at my relationship with him through the lens or the context of that one devastating event. Um, And it's not that I don't recognize that he's gone or or something like that. But for example, I can't tell you the day that he passed away. I I literally don't know. I know the month, I know the general timeframe, but every year my sister and I celebrate his birthday, right? Mm -hmm. Because that actually was something that we celebrated when he was around. Mm -hmm. But why would I want to, to memorize his death? You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's not a value (laughs) to Mm -hmm. me in that way. That's um, so what? Can I share a story? Because it's so what? And it really shows us that uh, what we make something mean, our point yeah. of view creates our reality. Because I love celebrating the day my mom died. And that okay. was about 20 years ago as well. Uh, or But 20 years, you were 20. But um, so it was 20 years ago for me. Because it, in the moment when she was dead, looking at her, I remember I had a choice. I had a choice to shut down and sort of do that old behavior that I would do. No spiritual bypass. I'm fine. I'm fine. Right. Or mm-hmm. I was like, this moment's only going to happen once. I'm going to open my heart. I'm going to open my heart. One potato, two potato. And I'm looking at her and she's not in there. The body's there. I could tell she wasn't there. Where the hell did she go? Like it was just this fascinating moment, different than seeing your parent asleep. They're dead. Mm-hmm. It's different. And I just mm-hmm. three potato, four potato, five potato, keep my heart open. I'd never felt such pain in my life. Like here's the moment I was sleeping right by her side in the hospital. I knew it was coming, but it's still the moment. And there mm-hmm. she is dead. Five potato, six. And then this full body 
an orgasm is kind of the wrong word, but it was like a full body orgasm. It was like a oneness with the divine mm. head to toe bliss of oneness with her is the best I can think of or oneness wow. with the divine. And I, I was like, Whoa, didn't see that coming. Holy crapola. And in that moment, kind of like you said, I, I, I could focus on the one day of death or all the days of life. Well, you, I think we're free when we just focus on all of reality, which includes the dark and the light, the pain and the pleasure, the challenge and the support. So you were like, I can be with the death and the life and it doesn't run me. I can hold it all. And in that moment for me, as I'm one potato, two potato, opening my heart, the greatest pain I'd ever experienced, she's gone mixed with, oh my God, she's out of pain. She, yeah. you know, the cancer was so painful. She's, she's at one. I'm experiencing all of reality in one moment. I can hold two emotions at once all within this. And it was like, seriously, a moment of bliss where I didn't, wasn't sad anymore. I mean, of course, later I had many moments of sadness, but in that split second, I was like, I just, I just am love feeling love. She's love. We're all love. It's just love. And then, of course, yes, we'll be out by noon. Yes, I had to call my sister. Yes, you can take her organs, all the stuff you have to do. We went through that. But here's this other cool thing that happened is nine months later, well, the weekend after she died, my sister got married. Mm. And we decided to get very drunk and just drink and just pretend she was on vacation just to get through it. Mm -hmm. I got pregnant. So now we're entering into this second marriage that I alluded to before. Mm. And so there I am giving birth. And he, my child is put on my breast for the very first time. I'm looking in the eyes of the little feet that were kicking me, you know, all the rest of it. And I'm like, oh, this is like an amazing moment. And my legs were splayed and I was birthing the placenta and there's people everywhere. And I'm like, oh, I'm not missing this moment. Just like I wasn't going to miss the moment where mom died. I'm not going to miss this moment. So again, one potato, two potato, three potato, just open my heart and be as present as I can. And to this time, not to pain, but to pleasure. Mm. And Walker, the same head to toe thing happened. This full body, one mm. moment happened. And then I had this like, I don't know if we want to call it like a spiritual awakening, but it was certainly an awareness. And I saw the shape of a heart mm. through the path of pain. If you keep your heart open and stay present or through the path of pleasure, if you keep your heart open, you get to the same place. Oneness, mm. love. And it was like, okay, all of life, that's what they say, mean when they say all of life is for you and nothing's against you. Everything, if you learn the lesson, everything, if you lean in, everything, if you stay present, everything, if you keep your heart open, everything, if you don't reject little you on the inside, everything, if you just keep breathing, will bring you home to the oneness, to the experience of life. And it really took away a lot of fear of failure, a lot of fear of being broken up with, a lot of fear of money a lot of fear of how things going to turn out, fear of the unknown, all that stuff. It lost its edge because I had this visceral experience of leaning into pain or bliss and I end up in the same place. Yeah, that's really fascinating. So you had the same experience watching a life leave as you did watching a life come to be. Beautifully said. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. Well, I... I and I don't, I, I, I don't mean to sound like I'm trying to flatter you. I really appreciate that you, you shared that. If you'd like. <laughs> um, but no, that that's really, really, really interesting. Um, and I, I'm really glad because, you know, I don't know a lot of people um, 
in my personal life um, that have dealt with the loss of a loved one in the in the way that that you or I have, right? Most of my friends still have their parents and, yes. you know, those sorts of things. And I don't mean to imply that I'm the only one <laughs> that suffered or that my suffering is none of that. This isn't a measuring sure, concept. Sure, sure. Yeah. That's not my point. But my point just being that that a lot of people don't that I that I again that I'm close to at least don't really have um, the same kind of they haven't they just frankly haven't really thought about this topic as much as I have because they yeah, didn't have deal with something. Like that. Yeah. 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 Um, and but so it's it's very interesting to hear. Uh, it's not the opposite. That's not the right word, but a different perspective on the same thing, because if anyone ever asks me, how do you deal with it? I mean, as I just told you, I'm like, well, don't focus on the pain. You know what I mean? But it's really interesting to hear you say that you can hold both because it's analogous to another th truth that I find, um, which this doesn't have anything to do with relationships or, or death specifically, so bear with me. But okay. <laughs> uh, welcome to the walk show. Finding <laughs> paths everywhere. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, it, it, it's this. I used to think in my life that the hard work of a situation yeah. um, was standing up for, for something. So if, if something, you know, if there's an injustice or if there's a wrong or if there's a, a thing that's not right, hard work is, is being willing to confront that. Mm. Because a lot of people, you know, aren't or can't or, or whatever the reason is, but, but that doesn't happen, right? Yeah. And, and I've come to realize in, in more recent years that that certainly has value and is maybe the first step, but that actually learning how to confront something and hold that where you're where you're challenging something and saying this isn't okay, yeah. But simultaneously, being empathetic to that yeah. and not shunning that, yeah. like that's the hard work, yeah. right? What you just talked about—it's holding both at once, and they're seemingly diametrically opposed, yes. right? Like, like oh. I'm just going to use a really really basic easy example but yeah. like um and man this might be dangerous and not dangerous but this might i, I don't mean to be insensitive all but right now in america we've got a lot of stuff going on with with like racial protests right yes and i've been someone for most of my life that you know if someone's racist around me like i, I got nothing for you man like i'll see yeah. you around you know? yeah yeah Same. but i've learned or come to learn that not that there's any place for bigotry or hatred or racism but the, if you just turn the other person into a monster and there's no chance for redemption, then we're never going to get past it. Well, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so it's anyway, like I said, winding path, but it's really interesting to hear you talk about at least principally the same idea in, in dealing with, with someone's death or to some extent your example birth as well, but holding these kind of two ideas, the pain and the pleasure uh, or the, the beauty of it all together at once. Yeah. This you're cool. So let's go deep, won't you? We're gonna go even deeper because you're on. You get it. You get it.
I love just to reiterate the last thing you said about, you know, the, the racism or the violence going on. The, you don't solve that with more hatred and blaming. Right. You solve that with love, compassion, mm-hmm. empathy, right? Um, you know, Martin Luther King, Gandhi, all the, the Mother Teresa, the people that we look to have all said this. And so this is our, this is our opportunity as George Floyd's funeral was not anything bad against the police officer. Nothing. Nothing was mentioned Mm -hmm. the whole Mm -hmm. time was about love and forgiveness and compassion and togetherness. It was extraordinarily inspiring. And so again, back to this idea of can in the same moment we hold pain and pleasure can in the same moment we say, Hey, not okay. And I get it. I have compassion. I have empathy. You're doing your best, right? Mm -hmm. That would be the way to invite a new way of being through acknowledgement, validation, That goes all the way back to how I speak to the little Alana inside when she's ashamed and humiliated. I don't go in and say, you stupid idiot. That's not going to get me anywhere. I go in and say, hey, you have every right based on how you were born, based on what you learned, based on what happened to you to feel this way. I get it. I hear you and I acknowledge you until that part of me on the inside feels safe, seen and heard and comes home to my higher self where we as one on the inside can make a higher choice and evolve and grow then we you know, project that outside of how we interact with others. So nobody likes a racist comment. Nobody likes to watch somebody be murdered. And can we show up that way with understanding and acknowledgement of like, okay, this doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And I am not going to lower myself and, and, and do an act of hatred in the face of an act of hatred. I'm going to rise above and invite an evolution mm-hmm. and a higher choice. Let us use this as a catalyst. Thank you, George, for your life that has woken up the planet into yeah. another way. Bless you, brave soul. Thank you, right? Okay, yeah. so that part. And then the next part I wanted to say is it's science. It's actually science. Whether we want to go back to Cahil Gibran and the prophet, and I, I never quite quote this accurately, so forgive me for butchering it, but the idea is when you're sad, it's like carving a well of sadness for which joy can then be filled. You can have more joy if the well of sadness is deep. Mm. It's through feeling the sadness that one can experience rich joy. Mm. So we start to look at, wait a minute, you can't even have joy without sadness. How would you know what joy was if you didn't know what sadness was? How could you know forgiveness if you didn't know betrayal? They're the same thing. They're on the same scale. They're just opposite sides. They're the polarities of it all. How could you know night without day? How could mm-hmm. you know hate without love or, or fear without love, right? These polarities. When you really do the quantum psychology work that I do and somebody's really triggered in this roller coaster life, clamoring for pleasure, pushing away the pain, clamoring for pleasure, and, and they get all the really not so good ways of that with alcohol or drugs or porn or, or workaholics or food at 3 a.m. at the fridge, like whatever the thing is, so it's not to feel the pain. We're all pretty clear that's not working. It's not working because we're pushing away one side of the polarity and we're clamoring towards the other. But the, but the point is they're both in the same world. And again, can we hold them both at once? And if we can, we can have choice, choice, evolution, and discernment. And so literally I've been trained in processes where let's say around dating and intimacy, someone's really afraid of rejection. Mm-hmm. Guess what fun Alana does? I say, great, 10 seconds, feel rejection. And we can even do it right now. Um, like everybody listening, just feel 
rejection. I'm only going to make it for 10 seconds. So don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. I got you. But like feel rejection, feel the emotion of rejection. What happens in your body? What images come up? What thoughts come up? Feel it. Feel it super, super, super fully. Resist nothing. Dive to the epicenter of it. Find the little you who's so afraid. Go to them. Be with them. Feel with them. Honor them by not pushing them in the closet anymore. By sitting in the fire with them. Breathe, 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 breathe. Do that for about 10 seconds. Take a breath. Exhale, shut the door on the rejection. Go over to acceptance. Ah, feel acceptance. Now we think, I'll just put a little pause there for a second. We think all we want is to be accepted. We think we never want to be rejected. And we always want to be accepted. But let's think about it. If every single day with everything you ever did, you were accepted, would you grow any resilience? Would you grow any grit or follow through? If everything was just easy peasy, you'd turn into an entitled ass. Like, let's think about it. If all there was was good and pleasure and easy and acceptance, and I, I only tried once and I succeeded, we would become a really lack of empathy, highly arrogant society. Mm-hmm. Now, if we looked over at the pain, the challenge, the obstacle, the rejection, these quote unquote bad things, if we really look at it, wait a minute, I fall down, I get back up. I get rejected, I show back up. I get betrayed, I forgive. Wait a minute. Actually, I grow through pain. I'm, I'm more strong, more resilient, more grit, more forgiveness, more compassion. Actually, pain is helping me grow into a better human. Whoa, wait a minute. You mean there's detriments to the good and pleasure, good things for the bad? Whoa, the brain is like, cannot compute, cannot compute. And this is the beginning of like holding it all together. So back to the process. So we mm-hmm. felt the quote unquote negative. We felt the rejection 10 seconds. Then I go over and I say, feel the acceptance. Oh, just feel everybody hugging you <laughs> and chocolate ice cream. And I don't know, like see the images and feel the body sensations and feel the emotion of you're enough. You're accepted. Everything's fine. Take a breath. Close that door. We go back and forth for a series of rounds. And then I say, exhale all the way to the center. Now, as you inhale, feel rejection and acceptance together at the same time, simultaneously up your spine, hold it at the top of your head, hold, hold, hold. And now let them do what they're going to do together. Mm. Walker, you can have a direct experience of oneness with the divine. About three rounds of this, when you Mm. fully have the four elements on either side, image, Mm. thought, emotion, body, sensation on both sides, no resistance, fully feeling both of them, feeling them together. We've literally done this with life and death, acceptance, rejection, evil, good. And it gets people off the roller coaster and they begin to integrate. And you literally have an experience of, oh my God, they're the same thing. They're just two polarities on the same scale. And I am in the middle, totally aware, totally a choice, totally discerning, able to respond, not react in the face of COVID, in the face of what's going on in the world. You think this world being able to be present, discerning, able to respond, not react might be a good thing? Yeah. And so- these processes that give us the example of, wait a minute, we can hold it all. We're not here to get it right, look good, do it right, pleasure every day, happy, happy, happy. That's spiritual bypass. Mm. And the judgment of the wrong and the bad and you're bad and you're wrong, that's just being a jerk and a superior you know, asshole, okay? Mm. So if we're like, wait a minute, there's maybe not a pure racist in all of us, but there's somebody that thinks I'm better than you, I'm superior than you. We've all had that moment. Mm -hmm. We're really no better than anyone else. 
We mm. all have our work to do. And if mm. we within our being can integrate these polarities and choose a higher path, an evolutionary path, a kinder path, a more compassionate path, and we can inspire that within others and not judge them, or I'm only going to hang out with these people. If we can be the change, right, mm -hmm. then we can inspire the change. And I love that it all comes down to science. We can prove it. There's processes. We can do this. They're applicable to in, from the boardroom to the bedroom, you know, for life. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's all very, very fascinating. And it, it is interesting that it's, um, it's not just intuitive, right? Like you said, it's also, it's just factual, it's scientific. There's just data, we'll, we'll say, behind it. Yeah. Like you've heard it, of heart math, right? Have you heard of heart math? Uh -uh. No. So this, it's been around like, I think probably three decades. I only heard about it a couple of years ago because I'm a geek. I want any of my intuition, as you say, to be proven. Mm -hmm. So I've really been following Nassim Haramein, the resonance project for years and years, interviewed him on my show. Um, but when I found HeartMath, they literally have this thing you stick on your ear mm. and it connects to an app on your phone and you can measure your coherence. Coherence is when your heart is in appreciation, compassion. And when it's not, it says, nope, too bad. You're, you're angry right now or you're sad or what have you. So you bring yourself, you practice. Wait a minute. I can feel appreciation. It's easy to feel appreciation for the good stuff. But can I also feel appreciation for the lessons? Appreciation. Can I feel compassion for myself right now? Can I have mm -hmm. empathy for, I'm in the fetal position right now, but can I still open my heart and have empathy for myself? You will raise your measurable coherence. And the cool thing is when you're coherent, the best of your brain turns on your prefrontal cortex, creative thinking, abstract thinking. So you can be a better problem solver mm. and your intuition and instincts turn on. So you can feel like I trust myself. I know what I know. And we take our mm. power back that way rather than I can't trust people. And I can't, you know, all that drama. You don't need to do that because we can trust ourselves on the inside. Uh-huh. Uh-uh. And that to me is when we make our best decisions for the planet. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I completely agree with that. I had not, yeah, I hadn't heard of the heart math. That's very interesting. Um, so it's basically just measuring how you're, uh, this might, this, uh, how you're perceiving the world around you or how you're interpreting yeah, things. As happening. a measurable vibration that turns on the mm. best of your body, like mm. get this experiment. This one blew my mind. So there's like a, a screen, a slideshow being shown and they're hooked up in their brain and they're hooked up in their heart to measure the, the vibration of what happens. So the slideshow is going to go like this. Bunny rabbit, uh, beautiful tree, rainbow, murder scene. Okay, that's mm. what the slideshow is going to be. The brain only knows, oh, registers, yep, bunny rabbit, rainbow, blah, blah, blah. It registers murder scene. But the heart knows the murder scene is coming before the eyes and the brain see it. It senses scientifically proven so the heart when in coherence knows how to keep you safe knows don't take that freeway today knows hmm, call it call them later they're not home right now just simple things it knows and it allows us to stop clamoring for control like control freaks and it has to look a certain way on the outside we can learn to know what we know on the inside and be far more safer and make even better choices so that is part one of what's super cool the Heart sends 90% more information to the brain than the brain sends to the heart. But here's the mm. other cool part. The heart, when coherent, vibrates at the same rate as the earth 
and the field, the magne- electromagnetic field around us. So when they say about being one with your mm. environment. Or in harmony. Harmony, exactly. Coherence, harmony. That also is measured and it taps you into what's called the non-local field. People call that God or the divine or you have a dream or you pray and you get an answer. Like, where does that come from? Mm-hmm. It can be measured. You can receive non-local guidance, intuitive hits from the divine when mm. you're coherent. So then you're not alone. I mean, how many of us feel like everything's on our shoulders? I've got to figure it out. It's up to me. I can't rely on anyone else. Well, what if you were able to measure and prove that you were in consistent co-creation with a field that is just responding to your vibration? If you say, you know, why do I suck so bad? <laughs> like, that's not a very good question to ask the universe because it's a low vibrational question and the universe will go, oh, here's why. And it'll give you reasons, right, in your life. But if you're like, show, tell me why I'm totally held, that you're completely on my side, that I'm here to make a difference and I'm completely supported and loved, that's a high vibrational question that the universe also will say, and so it is. Here's a wonderful support staff for your business. Here's a wonderful person to share your life with. You know, you, you, they say ask and it's given, right? But that's mm. the science behind how you can actually co-create with the universe. What would it take for my podcast to reach more people, says Walker, mm-hmm. right? The, uh, t- to serve and inspire more people, high-level question. You will have your own uh, incoherence in your heart. You will have your own prefrontal cortex give you the best of your mind, the best of your abstract thinking, and that's probably pretty awesome. You're pretty smart. And yet when you're going for a walk and you're having a shower, you're doing whatever, and you're in your coherence in your heart, and you ask the very same question, those intuitive hits you get is the non-local field supporting you. Mm. And that's the co-creation. So we're not alone. Hmm. Yeah, that's all very, very fascinating to me. I have been someone for most of my life that um, eh, just as, I mean, just to put it very frankly, has been... Um, pretty i've i've pretty i've been pretty adamant in rejecting um things that i maybe really just don't understand is actually the truth but (laughs) but in my in my my justifying mind Uh things that i don't that you know that i can't prove or that i can't demonstrate right um but i have friends who are people that I think are, and I, I don't mean this in a, a self-deprecating way, but that I literally think are smarter than me. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I'm not, again, I don't mean that. I don't think everyone that I encounter is that, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, I don't, but I don't always think I'm the smartest guy in the room either. But but my point just being like, I don't think that they're idiots, yeah, right? Yeah. I don't think they're just full of it. And I don't think they're liars. Yeah. So because I respect their, their capacity for thinking and understanding the world, and because I respect their honesty, when they talk about intuition and, and those sorts of things that are not maybe um, as obvious, and I, I struggle to find the words because obvious could, you know, maybe to some people it is, and me it wasn't, right? But um, but it's forced me to um, to kind of just I just have to accept it because I either have to think that they're full of crap or that they're lying to me. And since I don't think either of those things are true, then I've just learned to kind of accept that maybe I don't understand everything. I know shocking for the audience to hear, <laughs> uh, 
but no, but so it's really interesting to hear you describe it in that way. Cause I haven't heard it described in those kind of terms before. Um, or, or, or kind of heard the science behind it in that way. So, um, that's something I'm definitely going to have to investigate more after our, our Good. conversation. And wow, now you can go stalk HeartMath. They're awesome people. Yeah, get yourself a little HeartMath. I forget what the name of it's called, but so you can start practicing. Because one of the things I loved about it, I'm pretty good at uh, feeling appreciation and integrating, you know, the lessons of the pain and not getting too attached to the pleasure because too much pleasure, you forget to pick up the kids and pay the taxes, <laughs> you know, this kind of right. thing. So I'm okay there. But I, uh, I, one of my edges is that I do get attached to the results. Mm. Drive. Like I want to accomplish something. And so when I was practicing with this heart math monitor and I was feeling appreciation and they're like, if you're really good, you'll be between like a three, four, maybe even five. And I'm like at a 2.7. And I'm like, mm. so I'm really trying to feel appreciation. I'm really trying to feel it. Like, oh my God, okay. And it's going down, not yeah. up. And I'm like, what the <laughs> hell's going on? And then I'm like, oh, I'm getting a little attached. Okay, Alana, just surrender. Just let go. Let go of significance. It's not that important. Schwing! 4.1. I'm like, oh, God. That's a great lesson for me. That's a great yeah. lesson to show up, be present, let go of the results. Just be, Alana. Just be. Yeah. So, hmm. it's been good. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. So, um, I mean, shifting gears a bit, but to talk more about your, your, your work that you're doing through your podcast and stuff. So Thank you. you have, you know, longer, um, interviews and, and discussions and, and episodes that you have that are sometimes an hour or maybe even longer than that. But then you've also got kind of quick hits where you're, maybe it's a five minute video where you're yeah. addressing a question or a comment that someone left and kind of trying to, you know, build off of that and, and answer it or, or provide more context or whatever. Yeah. Um, well, so, you know, those are obviously coming from individuals, but do you work with individuals specifically as well, or are you mostly delivering the information through these, these channels? Um, so I definitely deliver information through these channels. I want to be sure that I can provide absolutely complimentary content to everybody on the planet that mm -hmm. gives a crap <laughs> and, and sure. wants to be loved. Right. So, so that would be the YouTube and the, and all of my different social media platforms, my podcast, et cetera. But my bread and butter comes from coaching. And it has oh. for 20 years. So I have single men, single women, and couples that I work with who, so the singles, generally, there's been the past they can't get let go of. 
a fear of rejection, so they're not even showing up. Maybe shame around their sexuality, and they don't know quite how to express that. Maybe they've never learned how to speak up. They kind of lose themselves in a relationship. Maybe they have a pattern of emotionally unavailable people, or that very same person that they keep dating over and over keeps cheating on them. You know, there's patterns that aren't working. That they're they're like, okay, I'm the only one in common. Let's like deal with this. Be it a man, be it a woman. Or sometimes just some really devastating heartbreak, like they were cheated on or divorced or their partner died, like something really traumatic that they just can't get through. And all of the cognitive analysis of the situation isn't healing the heart. That's generally why they come, because I do the deeper heart embodiment scientific integration work so that you can mm. just be present again and choose. Mm. So I don't ever promise to help you find the one. I help you. I promise to have you become the one to find the mm. one. And the result tends to be you find the one. Um, but in the process, we're not doing it. Remember to clamor for that external result. Everything that we're seeking, we give ourselves on the inside. So we're whole to start with. We're not empty that you'll complete me. So that's the work that I do with singles. People have met literally in my programs and fallen in love, which is really beautiful to watch. Awesome. Totally. Um, and then with couples, I also work. And most of the time, well, they come to me because it's not working. Mm. 70% of the time, what I support them in is getting things back on track. That even though it's fun to blame the other, uh, <laughs> really they're just a trigger for your own internal work. And we've come together to grow and evolve, each of us individually. So I'll do single sessions and couple sessions, single sessions, mm. couple sessions, and sometimes even VIP weekends for a couple. They'll come to me for three days. Day one is just her. Day two is just him. Day three is the two of them together. Or a single will come to me for two or three days. And we do a lot of deep inner work that you just can't, it's sort of like drilling for oil in a different spot, one hour at a time, you know, it can only go so deep. But when you're with me for a full two days and we're going four to five hours deep, we almost get double or triple the results just because of the proximity and the structure of how I go and build upon that hour after hour until they're, they're mush <laughs> and they're, yeah. they're home and they're in their heart and everything's fine. And then we, from their truth, not anything I'm telling them, but now that they finally can hear their truth and know what they know, and the past is gone. Now there's actually room for truth to arise from within them and they can hear it. And I teach them how to listen to energy. And then of course, there's the follow through. Even though you know what you know, you still have to take actions. And maybe Aunt Mary is going to think you're a lunatic and maybe you're going to need to change jobs or maybe you want to do something else. And people are going to say, why are you doing that? Like there's going to be kickback. So I've got their back so that they move through the finish line into the rest of their life. And then uh, with those couples, I'd say about 30% of the time, what's really meant to happen is the end of the relationship. But there's so much stigma that you're wrong because you're getting a divorce. And I, having been around the block twice with divorce, I don't have any of that judgment anymore um, about that. I don't see it as a failure. I think some lives are meant to learn all their lessons with the same partner. And both mm. people in the relationship are up for growth. And both learn and both grow and both evolve together for the 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. But that's not always the case. And it doesn't mean they're better than the person who has six 10-year relationships learned just as much just with six different people. And I think mm. it's abusive to try to make something work that's the sacred contract's over. And so I'm not your basic one track, everything needs to be saved kind of uh, counselor. I, uh, I say, when I start to meet them, I go, I'm going to be super honest with you here. I'm going to help you both become the one. 
and forgive the other and learn what this relationship is meant to teach you. But I'm going to be straight right out of the gate. I don't believe, I'm not 100% certain that this means you're going to stay together. However, mm. you're both going to be wonderful examples of honesty, forgiveness, and full self-expression for your children. And you might be co-parenting in two different households and there'll be more love, more kindness, less conflict, more honor than ever before. Are you willing for this to turn out however it's going to turn out? It will be the truth for each of you. I just can't tell you right now what that's going to be like. And I'm going to give you my authentic hit that this might be where we're going. Mm. Oh my God. When they have permission that they haven't failed, if it doesn't look a certain way and they've got support on how to tell the community, tell the family, tell the children that there's nothing wrong here. We haven't failed. This is actually what love would do is to honor and release one another and still love each other as co-parents. Most of the time there's children involved, not all the time, but most of the time. And to, and to be happy for the other to find a partner that is aligned and is their next step on their sacred journey. And to let that be normal and to have me having their back with zero judgment as they go, oh, I got to talk to my parents. They're all upset. And I'm like, I get it. I get it. And we integrate all these different wounds and they move through. They save money where it wasn't going to be a $200,000 divorce because they calmly walked into the mediator and signed it for 500 bucks and everything's fine. There's no drama for the children. And like my poor son, I didn't say this part in our intro, but there was after the second divorce, a 12 year custody battle. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to right. be that way. And so I'm so grateful that I get to give the healing that I never had back then to others to allow their life to be calm and beautiful, kind and honoring, even if what it looks like is quote unquote, a divorce, take all the taboo and shame out of that. Or they want to come out of the closet and they like women now, not men or, or whatever it is, or they want to have, they don't want to be married. They want multiple partners or whatever's weird according to everybody else. To me, I'm like, no, as long as you're living from your heart in truth and you're not hurting anybody, I got your back, got your back. Yeah, that I, I, there's a couple different directions I want to go with that, but but I, I'll pick one at least, and I might circle back to the other if I remember. <laughs> um, but it, it just it's striking to me again, not really to do with a relationship or at least a, a romantic relationship, if you will, directly. But there was a woman at one point that I worked with who was I I don't I don't know how old she was, not really relevant, but certainly well into adulthood okay. at least she's not she's not 20 yeah. right um and and she was largely reviled by most of the co-workers right like most people don't like her don't want to say hi to her just whatever find her disconcerting for whatever reason yeah and and i'll admit i i also wasn't like eager to try and go get a drink with her after work or something um, but I, you know, I, I wasn't going to try and bully her or something, you know what I mean? So yeah. I would always say hi and be nice and, and those sorts of things. Yeah. Uh, cause she's still a person, but on her, on her, in her desk and her cubicle, whatever, she had a picture of what I would assume is probably her granddaughter, um, a very young kid. And, and she, she, again, I don't know her exact age, but I would be surprised if her child was that young. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. I'm guessing a grandkid. But whatever. And so there's this picture of this like three or four year old girl. And I looked at that picture one day and it, it hit me that like, I mean, you know, a three or four year old kid could probably say or do just about anything. Like, I actually don't know what a three or four year old kid could possibly do 
that people wouldn't look at him and be like, well, it's a three or four year old kid. You know what I mean? Like we're not going to, yeah, yeah, we're not going to hold this against you forever. But if you just fast forward 40 or 50 or however many years it is, now this person makes mistakes. Like now we're ready to make them a pariah and we're ready to exclude them. And it's like, but she is still that four year old girl. Yeah. Right. Yeah. and so my, it just made me think of it because you're, you, you know, a lot of the language that you're using when describing this stuff is like people feeling safe and people feeling okay to be vulnerable and people feeling, and it just, it like, and, and maybe this is not <laughs> interesting. I don't know, but it, it just seems like the world is just full of people, regardless of how nice or mean they may be that are actually just like scared of having their feelings hurt. And I don't oh. mean that in a flippant or dismissive way. No, I don't mean that they're, oh, they're little kids, but it's like myself included. Like we're all just, just the same four-year-old that's like, please don't judge me. Please be nice to me. Yes. And at some point society stops doing that for people. Yeah. But that's really what we're all looking for. Right. Totally. Like I don't regardless think- of how to express that. Oh, I think it's beautiful what you're saying. I'm just thinking of my group coaching call last night. So these are people that work with me privately and in a group. Some have done the VIP thing, some haven't. And we're talking successful people, lawyers and doctors and, you know, authors and running camps for kids and and loan officers that make more in a month than I make in a year, like just like really successful people. And we're all vulnerable. And all of us have this little you inside. And one of them says... I know this is silly. And I go, eh, nothing's silly here. Like, okay, don't worry. Like everything is valid. There's no judgment here. She's like, well, the book I chose for the book club, I'm in. No one else liked it. And I hate that I hate that. I wish I didn't care. And she's like super successful, like person, happy marriage, like the whole thing. But she's like, I just feel like a loser. I'm not good enough. And I just took her through a very, very quick little process of like, you say the thought three times, I'm a loser, I'm a loser, I'm a loser. And like, what's the emotion that follows? Mm, Humiliation. I go, feel the humiliation, feel the humiliation. What's the thought? Everybody hates me, everybody hates me, everybody hates me. And what's the emotion? Sad. See, she doesn't want to feel sad. Mm. I'm like, 10 seconds, sad, feel sad, feel sad. What's the next thought? I'm such an idiot, I'm such an idiot, I'm such an idiot. I go, great, what's the emotion? She goes, stupid, I don't like to feel stupid. I go, feel it, feel the stupid, 10 seconds. She feels the stupid, 10 seconds. The next thought was, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. The next emotion, allowance, allowance. The next thought, it's okay if they don't like the book. It's okay if they don't like the book. And the next thought is full self-expression. Like, hey, let's just go have a great time. They can choose a different book. Like within a very short period of time, by talking, it's another way of saying, we let little you feel her feelings. Mm. We let the little four-year-old in us say what she needed to say. We took with uh, allowance, listening, compassion, time, feeling, not pushing away these things within three minutes, five minutes in front of everybody else. She's back to, it's going to be okay. Someone else will choose another book. It's okay. If I'm the only one that likes the book, it's all good. Everybody has their right to feel what they feel, think what they think. She was like back to herself. And then we said, does this resonate with anybody else? Okay. Like four people are like my book club, my book club. (laughs) I'm so glad you shared this because I was carrying around this for like 10 years of when I chose this book and they're still here. I'm just like, you've got to be kidding me. So all of us, including me, have the little you who is walking around with the big adults. And if we remember to treat ourselves with that level of compassion 
empathy, feel the feelings. Over a very short period of time, they will integrate back into home. But when we push them away, we go into those behaviors that would plague the world from obesity to suicide. Like, you know, all of the stuff that's going on, in my opinion, goes all the way back to, do we have an intimate relationship with ourself? Mm-hmm. With little you. Really, it's what it comes down to. And mm-hmm. when you do, and we never quote unquote get there, I don't think. I don't think there's ever going to be a day where I lose the capacity to be like mad or sad or scared. I mean, I'm human. Maybe when they kick dirt in my face, I'll be fine. But until then, I'm sure I'm going to be human. And so that gives us humility, right? And bravery. And then when another is quote unquote reacting, we can take that beat, see the four-year-old inside, as you said. And then instead of going, well, go, hey, how's it going? What's going on? Tell me more. And be that compassionate listener. Now, we can't control the other person. They still might like fly off the handle, but we can be the invitation. And if more of us started to be the invitation, you know, more would receive the invitation. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, uh, it makes me, you know, I, I do, um, affirmations, you know, saying affirmations on a, on a daily basis. Um, and an affirmation that I thought of today that I, I started using actually was that, that comfort comes from confrontation. And I don't mean um, from uh, accosting yourself or someone else or anything, but simply that, um, but, but it made me think of what you were just saying, made me think of it again. It's like only by confronting the thing that we're uncomfortable with, can we actually move to comfort, right? But we think a lot of times, or I I say we, because I'm trying to get off the hook. I think (laughs) that, that like, oh no, I'm just not gonna, I'm just gonna to walk away from it, or I'm gonna go another direction, or I'm gonna go around it, or I'm gonna find a way, some other thing. But that doesn't, you know, then it, it just, it leads to anxiety and it leads to these loops yes. um, and these patterns. And it, it it's it's only through confronting things. And again, I don't mean violence or, yes. or being adversarial or something, but just simply- Face it. Yes, confronting it. That is actually the only way to comfort, which again is, back to the conversation we're having earlier where it's seemingly diametrically opposed ideas. Yes. Right? Yes. I love this. And, and conflict, right? Right. But that it's actually, yeah. But when you can hold them both, you can find yeah. grace. What is the Joseph Campbell quote? The cave you fear to enter holds the treasure that you seek. Right. Mm. And that, that's mm. what we're saying is if you face the fear, you will find this love or inspiration to go another way. If you face the fear of rejection, and you don't, you accept yourself and mm-hmm. you no longer seek the acceptance, right? And if mm-hmm. you face and feel both life and death, they sort of intertwine into one another. You can't have mm-hmm. one without the other. Right. It's like you can't have you without me. How could I know there's a you if there's not a me over here? We're on the mm-hmm. same spectrum of usness. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah.
the other thing that I wanted to, to touch on, at least briefly, that, that you've kind of mentioned a few times so far in our discussion is, is this idea of patterns. Um, I read a book last year called The Power of Habit mm-hmm. uh, that was very, very um, profound to me, I guess. And it, it was, it's just this, this, the concept that so much of our lives are actually patterns and routines and habits and that it can be easy to, and they're very powerful and and in, in good ways, oftentimes, right? Um, like the fact that you can wake up and brush your teeth and it's just kind of a habit and you don't have to think about like, now, how do I move the brush every, like that would be, that would be terrible if you had to do that. Like, so thank God we have the ability to, to have a habit of that. Right. Um, obviously very simple example, but, but the point just being that another thing that I think is true is that people will, and and this is definitely true of myself, which is why I think it's true (laughs) for other people as well. Um, is that you can have patterns and habits and routines and it can be easy to fall into the trap of associating those Mm. as being, you right and so then if that if it happens to be a bad pattern or habit now you're a monster and now you're broken and now you don't you don't fit the mold or whatever and like actually it's just a habit which is just a tool which isn't permanent which isn't defining of you the person Mm -hmm. and if you can if you can identify that and then work to change those habits which you know earlier you said you can't create or destroy energy, but you can change it. And that's kind of what that book teaches as well is that habits are like actually stored in this very central part of the brain. Like it's one of the oldest, most prehistoric parts of the brain that habits actually reside. And so it is actually kind of difficult to just completely eradicate it. However, you can shift it. Yes. So now works in a different way and maybe now leads to a different outcome. Yes. Um, I love this. And I just think it's really a powerful thing to 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 consider and 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 try and internalize because I think that people again create monsters out of themselves when it's not actually them. It's just the habit. And you can change the habit yep. and now none of now you're not the monster, right? Um, and you never were the monster. It was just the habit. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, it just made me think of that also. That was the other way I wanted to go earlier. No, I really, <laughs> I'm so impressed that you remembered both ways. Like, look at you. <laughs> Normally, when I go on a tangent, there's a... No, <laughs> um, okay. I ramble a lot. No, so it's really good. Two, two things I want to say about that. The first being, I was having a conversation. I have like a sub-series within my intimate conversations called Eroticize Equality with Layla Love. She's the uh, founder of Rise of the Butterfly. It's a nonprofit for anti... Uh, human trafficking. And we're writing a book together. And so we had a guest on and her idea was this idea with porn, we can't stop porn, but we can shift it to sacred lovemaking, new ways to support humanity, uh, a habit they've already got, billion dollar habit, uh, and a shaming habit. It's not going very well, but how can we shift what's already there in a way that would um, see the divinity in sexuality and the honor of one another. So this was a conversation we had on one of my podcasts. So yes, yes, shifting a habit. And the work I do with my clients, I call it an identity, same, same, or an archetype or a habit. It's all sort of like a different word for what I believe is the same thing. So for example, with me, back during the 12 years of the court battle, 
someone would say, so Elena, how's the business good? How's your son good? And how's life good? How's the, how's the ex-husband? It was like, dun, 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 dun. Everybody get the orchestra out. It was like the victim in me showed up. Mm-hmm. Oh, and my circumstances are bigger than me and poor me and let me get the attention and like get the orchestra going. So everybody gives me their attention because it's so hard and poor me and I've lost the house and I'm in a quarter of a million debt and he's so awful. It's like, I was just sucking the mojo out of anybody's attention because the habit was or the identity running the show was the victim. Mm-hmm. You know, it didn't show up in other areas of my life, but it sure did in that one. And mm-hmm. so what I do with processing is we really look at what the needs are that keep that point of view in place, keep that identity in place, keep that habit in place. So my victim, she wanted attention. She wanted to be saved. She wanted to look good, be right. Cause she just, she did not want to have to let anything go, take responsibility, forgive, mm. make up for the damage done. She didn't want to do any of that mature stuff. Right. So she wanted mm. to stay the victim. She had a need. And along with these needs, there's beliefs men are bad. My dad was my first husband. She had all these beliefs about men and then she had beliefs about herself. And I didn't want to admit any of those. Right. But her beliefs were like, I'll never find love. I'm not worthy of love. Men will always hurt me. She had all these beliefs and all of this was stored, as you said, in the brain with this identity that kept creating experiences that led to, um, emotional charge, being let down, being afraid, being righteous, being a victim, like all these like emotions that kept running my life. Cause you can't, here's another thing. You can't create on top of an emotional charge. We leave our prefrontal cortex where we think cleverly. We go back into fight or flight or freeze. You don't make good decisions back there. It's like kill before I'm killed. That's the only decision to make. That's it. So when we're in an identity that makes us have those emotional charges, we can never get the reins of our life back because we're always reacting we're never responding. And the mm. core of what's creating all that is the identity. You're smiling. You're getting this, huh? Yeah. It, I had a conversation with another guy here recently, and he talked a lot about specifically the difference between um, between reacting and responding. Mm. And that's just, I thought that was such a, a lovely way to position that. And so then to hear it again from from someone else. and, and it, We were talking about the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. So a very different conversation, sure. but then at the same time, not right. Yeah. I mean, we didn't talk about intimacy or sex at all, uh-huh. but, or relationships in, in that kind of context. But, but it, it's it. But here it is: the same idea comes comes back again, right? It's the the react versus the respond, and I just think there's such a powerful lesson in that, and I just never heard it positioned that way. And now here I am stumbling into all these brilliant people that have these ways of positioning things. So, <laughs> oh, thank you. So yeah, you can imagine you're in a dating relationship and he or she pulls out their phone and your habit based on the identity of being a victim who has dated five cheaters in a row will mm-hmm. jump to the conclusion and the, all the hormones in the body and you got five seconds till you're back in fight or flight or freeze, you're sure they're cheating on you. And they're like, mm. I am just checking my email. I'm ordering us a pizza. Would you chill out? Like what? But oh no, you've already decided. And then they break up with you. I knew it because men are and women aren't. And it's like the pattern continues, right? Yeah. So for me, my job is the, you know, emotional sleuth or the, you know, find the blind spot or, or get at the core wound. I don't like dealing with like all the minutia on the outside. I like to be efficient, go right to the core, find the wound that's running the whole show, the identity that's running the whole show, integrate that. And then, oh my God, every area of their life improves, physical, mental, spiritual, 
vocational, financial, social, family, romantic, intimate, sexual, everything, everything changes because I went to the core and now the core is no longer reacting. It's aware, it's responding, it's discerning, it's, it's at choice and the whole life up levels. And I'm like, and my work is done. Fist bump, yeah. fist bump, ass slap, whatever I do, right? Um, extraordinarily fulfilling. Um, yeah. I, I get really turned on to find out what that is because it, it's freedom. Yeah. It's freedom. I love, I, yeah, the, 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 I love the, I, I love, uh, sorry. I don't, I don't know if you're a fan of the Matrix movies at all. Oh, this sure. is a game. This. Come, come. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of the, the third Matrix movie, which I, I bring this point up on another episode. So people who listen to all my episodes, sorry, I'm not I'm not creative enough to be unique on each episode. But I just love it because I think it's so it's so profound because here it is again that you're, you're talking about it. It's so at the end of the third Matrix movie. Neo is fighting against Agent Smith, the villain of the, the movies. Yeah. And and he's losing over and over again. And Smith says, why? Why do you continue? Because he's a. a, a an algorithm, a program, a math problem, right? Yeah. So to him, there is only outcomes that are predetermined based on the input, right? There's an input, there's an output, that's it. And Keanu Reeves says, because I choose to. And and it, it I just, I, a lot of people will say that those movies are cheesy or hammy or corny because it's like this faux philosophy. And it's like, it's not though. It's not faux philosophy. Like, that is the power. Yeah. Like that's the reason that reacting versus responding is powerful yeah. is because of what you just said, it's choice. And when you can choose, that's when you seize the power of whatever the situation is. Oh, I just want to jump through the squad cast <laughs> and hug you right now. Like I so <laughs> agree with you. Sure. And I'm, I'm just like, I'm, I'm like the, I, people get very annoyed with me in my group coaching calls or private calls or whatever it is. Whenever they say, I want, I'm like, mm, choose. I need, I'm like, mm, choose. And, and they're right. like, I'm like, because it's a different friggin' reality. You yeah. say I want and I need confirms the lack of it. And you're going to stay there and repeat that pattern. Take the reins of your life and choose. Well, I don't know how. I don't care how. Just choose. But I, I don't want to be that responsible. I don't want to have to be responsible for my results. I don't want to have to clean up my mess. I don't want to have to jump into the unknown. Uh, 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 I go, it's time to grow up. It's time yeah. to grow up and be conscious. Being present means you're out of control. You're mm. also completely a choice to respond, to discern, to, to choose, to all to do these other things, okay? You're not like a sitting duck. But when you're fully present, you have no clue what's going to happen. No clue. Mm. Now, if you're off mm. in the past lamenting or the future trying to control it or I want this and I need this and blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine. You're not here. When you're right. here, you can change your reality with your choice. You just say, I'm done with this. I choose freedom. Now the universe goes, oh, we have a live one. Oh, they just popped up. I don't know how many decimal points on vibration. We have one that's starting to choose. Huh, let's pay some attention. We can actually work with this one because all the universe can do when you say I want is give you the experience of wanting. That's it. Mm. But choice is like, oh, they choose freedom. Well, we're going to have to get them out of that job. So they're like, I just lost my job. I'm like, yay, this is good because you chose freedom. You chose to be an author. You're working in IT nine to five every weekend and you don't even have any time. It's a good thing. You're actually getting what you asked for. I don't right. like it. It's uncertain. I go, yeah, when was it not? Right. Sorry, when was it not? That's uh, that's a conversation I had with a friend when the pandemic started that they, they were saying, you know, I just feel like, like there's so much uncertainty and how do we make plans for anything? And I said, 
you know, I think what the pandemic is showing us is that um, this uncertainty was there the whole time, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Like you've already been making plans and choices and, and, you know, writing out again, the plans in the face of chaos and you weren't scared at all. Yeah. And now that you've been shown a piece of it and the curtains pulled back a little bit, it's terrifying, but you shouldn't be because you were already do you were already courageous and brave enough in uh, doing this. That's beautiful. You maybe didn't understand it to be that, but it, COVID was already there and it, maybe it wasn't COVID, but some other disease, some other, a car accident, whatever other uncertainty that would be outside of your control, you were always on the precipice of it. Yeah. You just weren't looking at it that way and COVID has kind of made all of us see it and experience it but it didn't actually change the the truth right yeah. you say that it shifted to reality but that's your choice yes. the truth is that it was always chaos yes. it was always unpredictable yes so, you're so right I love it um well so to I I I, I we could probably talk for for four hours I, I think, think we could. <laughs> who's opening the ball uh, line first like let's <laughs> <laughs> like a party. <laughs> um, well, so the, the to to kind of conclude, I will say, you know, another thing that I noticed in your videos that I really appreciated was um, that while you you speak to the kinds of things that we're talking about here, where it's how to think about things and 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 how to how to try and process things, the other thing that you do is you 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 also strongly recommend action, right? Oh that, yeah there is power in speculation and there is power in, in thinking about things intellectually, but that's only one part of the puzzle and action is where we really see results, which sounds obvious and like, yeah, duh. But a lot of people don't see it that way. A lot of people get stuck and trapped and wondering, well, do I need to do this or is it going to be just right? Or is it going to be good? And it's like, mm. you just got to go sometimes. Yeah. And so I say that to say, you know, certainly talk about that as much as you would like, but also, um, you know, if people are interested in this conversation and want to know more about you, what actions do they take? How do they find you? Where do they go? Uh, and, and certainly we'll have notes and, you know, sure. show, links and everything in that. Um, but yeah, just, just talk about that for a moment if you oh, will. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. So my site is my name, alanapratt.com. Pretty easy. A-L-L-A-N-A-P-R-A-T-T.com. Lots of free resources and intimacy blind spot quiz. Uh, all the links over to YouTube or Instagram, my books, I have six books, my group programs, my membership, soon my dating app, lots of good stuff there. So lots of resources there. Please enjoy yourself. Um, and back to action. One thing that always irked me was, I guess we could call them heads. So just a spinning mind, an ego, the just the masculine energy of drive without the feminine energy of listening, allowing, uh, really being with receiving truth first. Just It just felt like it was just one directional action. Just be in action. Just be in action. Just like, no, if you just keep throwing spaghetti on the wall over and over and over and over and over, you're not going to get anywhere except a lot of spaghetti on the wall. (laughs) However, the opposite, just sitting there and meditating and doing nothing is Mm. also not going to get you anywhere. So again, it's this idea of the polarity we were speaking of earlier. It's the same with life slow down. Like if you got to me, if you have a, a tree to chop down, you got four hours to chop the tree down, spend three, three and a half of the t- hours of the time sharpening the saw and then knock that mofo down. Just like execute with, with in, like, quick integrity and action. So I really like to make sure that where you're making the choice from is not society telling you to do something, is not being motivated by fear, is not just for the sake of being busy. It's like slow down 
integrate your wounds, know who you are, choose for your own soul, your own genius, your own reason for being on the planet, not to be good enough, look good, be safe, like get the truth and then take action. And then you have this efficient, elegant, in the flow, in the zone way of living, right? So those, those, for example, sports stars, when we see them in action, it looks so gorgeous because they've been practicing for a very long time. They didn't just get out there and it looks like that. So this action, when we really want to create those high level results, comes from doing the inner work the integration work, the healing work, the listening to your truth, and then the uh, a bravery arises, and then out you go. And you do mm. it for the sake of it. Yes, you hope it goes a certain way, but you let go of the attachment, and you take action, and you take action, you take action, and you fall down. And back to the very beginning, if you've done your integration work, you're not hitting yourself with a two-by-four. You're like, hey, little one, we fell down. Here's a popsicle, or here's a tequila shot. Hey, let's, yeah. we're going to be fine. Okay, up we get again. Well, that will, we fell, fell down seven times. Well, then we'll get up eight now, won't we? Yes, we will, mm. right? So that's the resilience that grows over time. So I, I definitely am all about action, but not just stupid action or fear-based action or action for the sake of action. Soul-based, heart-based, truth-based, knowing. Not even thinking, mm. knowing. And then go. And then I, of course, have consequences with my clients. Chocolate truffles. That's my thing. If you don't do what you say you're going to do, you have to send me cho- chocolate truffles. And I have, I have a fair amount in my freezer. And it's just a little joke, sort of, but I still make them do it. And then if they do what they said they were going to do, I send them chocolate truffles. Ooh. Yes. Well, it has to be reciprocal. It has to be fair. So Chocolate truffles is a pretty good prize. Oh. So I'll give you that. Don't you love it? Yeah. So, so yeah, action. <laughs> take action. Go to my site. I would love to love you. I give these weekly inspirations, sometimes a video, sometimes an audio, sometimes my, my writing. Um, I call them my weekly inspirations. And uh, yeah, there's, um, there's just a lot of ways to just a, a tiny hinge can swing a very big door. You know, maybe you've heard it from your podcast or another podcast, but you hear it like the third or fourth time and it just really lands. Maybe if this conversation is resonating with you, there's something that I've written or, or some way of working together that would really um, tip you, tip you over into that next reality. It's often when people get conscious and listen to a conversation at the level that you provide, they do their work. They do their work, but nobody, me included, can see our blind spots. And so it's important that you have somebody who does, who honors you, doesn't judge you, who walks their talk, who, like I have my own coaches. I think it's completely out of integrity to be a coach if you don't have your coaches. So I have many coaches. (laughs) I have like three coaches. Um, So that I can be my best self for others. And uh, none of us get there alone wonderful to celebrate with your advisor team and to have somebody that has your back so if i resonate with you i would love to meet you and i hope that this some of the awesomeness that we talked about is a is a contribution to to your listeners yeah well thank you so much alana pratt for joining the show Uh, like i said we'll have links in the show notes for everything as well for for anyone to to find Uh, but i really appreciate your time thank you so much for stopping by today oh thanks for having me you're awesome
All right, folks. Well, that's going to do it for the show today. Thank you so much, Alana Pratt, for stopping by and sharing your thoughts and insights. I really, really enjoyed the conversation that we had, and I hope my listeners go out and check out uh, your website and and, and the stuff you're putting out there because I think it's all really valuable stuff. I also want to thank Misha Zarens for providing the music again for today's show. As always, really, really appreciate that. And, of course, I want to thank you, the listener, for listening to the show today. I'd also like to invite you to check out my other podcast, Pick Up Your Sticks, which is co-hosted by myself and Brett Lindley. Pick Up Your Sticks is a video game podcast all about why gaming matters. Uh, So while we do talk about current event news and reviews, we also try and talk about the emotional connection that we have to gaming and, and really why we think it matters to us. You can find Pick Up Your Sticks on all the podcast platforms. So wherever you're listening to The Walk Show, you can probably listen to Pick Up Your Sticks as well. I appreciate your time. Thanks for the listen. Hope you have a great week. Stay up.